Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Thanks so much for joining me today. Did you know there's a location here on this earth that is directly related to all of the major spiritual truth that God has revealed to his servants for the last almost a century? One place on earth connected to so much rich spiritual treasure. I'm not talking about the headquarters of the Philadelphia Church of God here in Edmond, Oklahoma. I'm not talking about Jerusalem, which is, of course, a very spiritually, biblically significant site. I'm talking about Robber's Cave. Robber's Cave State Park is in southeastern Oklahoma, and since 1989, it has had an extremely crucial role in God's work. The reason I'm bringing this up today is because today is the last day of the 2021 Armstrong College Robbers Cave break. Now, sadly, the students were not able to attend Robbers Cave at Robbers Cave. It's still called the Robbers Cave break, even though they're not at that campsite this year. That campsite's getting a bit worn out, and so they tried to find another location. That location was damaged from the recent winter storm, and they all ended up observing the break here on the Edmund Herbert W. Armstrong College campus instead. But it is still called the Robbers Cave break because Robbers Cave is such an important location in the history of God's work. Now, there is a lot of just precious church history, recent church events that, that really have connections to Robber's Cave. Robber's Cave is the site of the end of a three-and-a-half-year spiritual drought. I'll just read the verses that I'm referring to, James 5 verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So, this is not talking about a physical drought. We can actually prove that to you. The November, December 2020 Royal Vision has an article by PCG Pastor General Gerald Flurry titled The Mystery Prayer of James 5, verses 17 and 18. This is called a prayer that changed church history. The original Elijah did not pray 
for a drought. He prophesied of a physical drought. He didn't pray for a spiritual drought. This is an end-time prophecy of an end-time type of the Elijah praying for spiritual drought. Now, there is a lot of evidence, a lot of proof that the end-time Elijah is the late Worldwide Church of God founder Herbert W. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong died on January 16, 1986. But just before he died, on January 10th, he appointed his successor, the new physical leader of the WCG. So between January 10th, when Mr. Armstrong picked Joseph Tkach, and January 16th, when he died, he went through a mind change. Mr. Flurry writes here in this November-December 2020 Royal Vision, After he appointed Mr. Tkach, Mr. Armstrong realized something, and he wanted God to stop the revelation for three and a half years, then start it up again. In essence, he was praying for a new church. He asked God for a church that would keep God's true doctrines, that would resurrect God's work, that would receive new revelation in the midst of the terrible Laodicean era. So in the span of six days, between January 10th and January 16th, 1986, Mr. Armstrong went from confidently appointing the new WCG leader to realizing that leader would not stay loyal, that leader would betray God, and so he actually prayed for a three-and-a-half-year drought. No new revelation to God's church for three-and-a-half years. And this would be a massive test for God's people, as 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about, God actually sent strong delusion to his own church. Mr. Armstrong, before he died, could tell that there was something wrong with the worldwide church of God. He warned repeatedly against Protestantism creeping in, basically lawless religion thinking we can behave however we want to and still somehow please God. And he talked about being very concerned about the direction of the church. He actually said, But the bad news as it appears today, my dear brethren, is that we, undoubtedly of the Philadelphia era, are in serious danger of becoming also the Laodicean era. I am personally much concerned about that. So he's talking about the seven church eras of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The sixth era being one that is very faithful and hardworking for God, but then the seventh one, the Laodicean era, being one of lukewarmness. Not too hot, not too cold, don't really care too much about God's truth either way. 
people who are just spiritually asleep. They might be zealous, but they're zealous for something else. They're zealous for worldly wealth instead of spiritual riches. So Mr. Armstrong saw some tendencies in the worldwide church of God that seemed to indicate the church was going in that bad direction. And so 2 Thessalonians 2 shows that God wanted to test the church. He wanted to send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11. So Mr. Armstrong actually prayed for this spiritual drought. It was part of God's plan to test his church to see how much the people really loved the truth. To see who would actually stay loyal when Mr. Armstrong, their strong father figure type, was gone. The January 2021 True Education magazine has two articles about Malachi's message. This is the book that thoroughly explained what, what went wrong with the WCG after Mr. Armstrong died. Like I said, there's two articles in there. I'd highly recommend finding that January 2021 True Education at pcg.church. You can access it there for free. But this was a time in 1989, toward the end of this three-and-a-half-year spiritual drought, where a lot of things were going wrong in the church. I'm not just talking about a new leader with a different personality or a different way of saying things that people didn't like as much. No, we're talking about the destruction of every major true doctrine. God's truth just being torn apart one doctrine at a time, or sometimes multiple doctrines at a time. In just a few years after Mr. Armstrong died, the church had already been changing the primary focus of the work. They'd gone from trying to reach the world with the, the true gospel message about God's coming kingdom to just focusing inward on building the college. It was more of a selfish approach. They changed the belief about healing, that maybe it's not always God's will to heal. Maybe there's no such thing as physical sin or broken health laws that lead to physical sickness. They stopped getting specific about Bible prophecy. They didn't think that certain verses in the Bible are talking about specific people. But then how would any prophecy have any meaning if you couldn't actually pinpoint specific personalities? They preached another Jesus, one who came to do away with his father's law even though Christ himself said he came to fulfill the law and to set an example for us to follow in keeping the law. They started to say the mystery of the ages. Mr. Armstrong's greatest book had a bunch of small errors that could undermine the entire message of the book. And, of course, not too long after that, they discontinued the book entirely. 
They stopped teaching the truth about the United States and Britain in prophecy. The one book that was requested the most out of all of Mr. Armstrong's writings. This identity of the modern descendants of ancient Israel, which obviously is the focus of most Bible prophecy. So if we don't know who those modern descendants of ancient Israel are, we simply can't understand Bible prophecy at all, really. The church became obsessed with seeking the world's approval. They stopped delivering God's message and started contributing to charities instead. They started to say that the return of Jesus Christ is really not that close, even though there's prophecies being fulfilled all the time that indicate otherwise. They changed the timing of God's Sabbath day when it ends, saying it ends when it's completely dark and not actually at sunset. They changed the Passover. They changed the belief about us only being begotten by the Holy Spirit now instead of actually born again. They started to say that we are born again, which means we have already been transformed into spirit beings. That's what actually being born again is. So obviously that hasn't happened to us. We're still physical. They started to say that it's impossible for Jesus Christ to sin, even while he was on earth. There was no chance he could have sinned, and so really he wasn't taking that big of a risk to come down to earth and sacrifice himself for us. They changed even the truth about who God is. They started to basically say that maybe the Trinity isn't wrong. And they outright accepted the Trinity not too long after. They started letting anyone come to services, to Sabbath services each week. Even if they didn't know some of the basic truth that would help them understand what they would be hearing. So plenty of other changes. Those are just some of them. But these are the changes. This is the context into which Robber's Cave pops up on the scene. So this three-and-a-half-year spiritual drought prophesied in James chapter 5, where an end-time Elijah prayed for no new revelation to come into God's church for that entire time. But then... On the very day, three and a half years after Mr. Armstrong died, the new rain, the new the revelation started up again. The spiritual drought ended. And it took place at Robber's Cave. Mr. Gerald Flurry gave his manuscript, Malachi's message, to his son, Mr. Stephen Flurry, who at the time was just an unbaptized 19-year-old. And Mr. Stephen Fleury, just a college student at the time, read part of that manuscript on July 16, 1989. Again, three and a half years after January 16, 1986, when Mr. Armstrong died. 
a direct, exact, precise fulfillment of James 5, verses 17 and 18. That spiritual drought ended at Robber's Cave. And it ended by God letting a 19-year-old read it first. In Raising the Ruins, which is available to you for free at thetrumpet.com, Mr. Stephen Flurry wrote, I got through about half of Malachi's message before we had to gather our things to leave. So they were about to leave Robber's Cave. And Mr. Gerald Flurry said, so what do you think? He asked when I stopped reading. Well, that definitely will, will get you fired, I responded. Its content certainly rang true. It was inspiring, in fact. But I couldn't yet commit to accepting the material without first digging into Mr. Armstrong's foundational teachings. How could I say the church had fallen away from the truth when I hadn't yet fully proved the truth in the first place? I was 19, interested in baptism, and had so much to learn. So, speaking of all those other foundational truths, Robber's Cave comes into play there as well. In 1997, Mr. Gerald Flurry decided to start printing Mystery of the Ages because the Worldwide Church of God had discontinued it, had put it out of print, was trying to destroy that truth, trying to take away that message from the entire world. That book, that book explains who and what God is, the mystery of angels and evil spirits, the truth about the human mind, human civilization, Israel, the church, and the kingdom of God. A book that makes plain the entire Bible, and yet the WCG wanted to keep it out of print forever. They said it was their Christian duty to do so. So in 1997, Mr. Flurry decided to start printing Mystery of the Ages. And of course, the WCG responded with a lawsuit. So these two churches were battling in court for six long years. And for about two years of that time, over two years, no one was printing that book at all. The WCG actually got the PCG to stop printing Mystery of the Ages, stop printing the other writings of Mr. Armstrong that we also had started printing. And at Robber's Cave is where Mr. Flurry guaranteed, based on prophecy in Habakkuk, that the PCG would win those writings. That the PCG would win Mystery of the Ages, the incredible human potential, the wonderful world tomorrow, the missing dimension in sex, the United States and Britain in prophecy, the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course, Who or What is the Prophetic Beast? Just What Do You Mean Born Again? Does God Exist? What is Faith? The Plain Truth About Healing? 
what science can't discover about the human mind, why marriage soon obsolete, pagan holidays or God's holy days which, which day is the Christian Sabbath, the seven laws of success, the proof of the Bible, and the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong. Now, that was a pretty bold guarantee at the time in 2002 at Robbers Cave to say that the PCG was going to win this court case because the courts had rejected our attempts to print these books. And it seemed that the only way forward was to pay damages to the WCG for ever daring to try to distribute God's truth. That's what it looked like. It seemed like there was some big trouble in store for the PCG. And yet, based on prophecies in the book of Habakkuk, Mr. Flurry said otherwise. And then the very next year, in 2003, again at Robber's Cave on March 7th, so yesterday, Mr. Flurry announced for the first time that we had won that court case, had basically exhausted the WCG by continually exposing them and fighting them. And so they gave in and sold the copyrights to the PCG. It was more than we could have ever hoped for. The courts only would have allowed us fair use of those books, of that precious truth. And yet, we were able to obtain the entire copyrights from people whose Christian duty it was to keep that truth out of print. In a sermon to the rest of the church, the day after announcing on March 7th of 2003 the court case victory, Mr. Flurry said, Don't look at the words or you'll always be deceived. The devil has better words than anybody, but his deeds are atrocious. This is where the substance is. Anybody can say nice words, but God holds us accountable for our deeds, what we do, not what we say. One person says Christian duty. I say Christian duty too, but we're at polar opposites. What do you do? That's what's going to get you into the kingdom of God or in the lake of fire. So a pretty powerful statement there. The very day after Mr. Flurry announced the court case victory at Robber's Cave in 2003. Now going back to Malachi's message quickly, this manuscript that really is the foundational book ever written by Mr. Flurry. In 1992, at Philadelphia Youth Camp, Mr. Flurry said that Malachi's message was also the little book of the book of Revelation and thoroughly proved that. There's a booklet we have for free at thetrumpet.com titled The Little Book. And it shows how chapters 3 through 9 of Malachi's message first read at, Mal at Robber's Cave, are the seven thunders of Revelation. 
And this is pretty powerful stuff. We can just, just go over there quickly to finish up. Revelation chapter 10, and then verses 9 and 10, or verse 8 starting here. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. Verse 9, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. So Malachi's message, this book that explained how the Worldwide Church of God went off track, this book being read for the first time at Robber's Cave three and a half years to the day after Mr. Armstrong died, fulfilling that prophecy in James chapter 5. This book was later confirmed to be the little book of Revelation chapter 10. And these thunders are those last uh, nine, those last seven chapters of, the, of Malachi's message. And, and in the little book, Mr. Flurry's booklet, he's talking about the second thunder being chapter four of Malachi's message titled Following Elijah. And he said, I believe the greatest single end time prophecy is about Elijah. He did one of the greatest works for God in terms of people involved ever done on this earth. This is so foundational. He did such a towering work that there simply is no time for any other man to come on the scene in the future and do such a powerful work. And then he says, Oh, how blind the Laodiceans are. So Malachi's message, read for the first time at Robber's Cave. And it's the little book of Revelation chapter 10. And it draws a strong connection to the end time Elijah, Mr. Armstrong. It powerfully reinforces Mr. Armstrong's role in doing God's work in the 20th century. And it's a strong warning to everyone in the WCG who just fell asleep and fell away from all that. Denied all of the obvious results that Mr. Armstrong got by relying on God. Malachi's message, the little book, the seven thunders, the court case victory where we obtained Mystery of the Ages and 18 other major works, writings of Mr. Armstrong. That court case prophecy, the victory guarantee, was made at Robber's Cave in 2002. The announcement of that victory was made at Robber's Cave in 2003, just hours after Mr. Flurry found out that the court case was officially over and there would be no more legal battle. All of this connected to Robber's Cave. One location, one monument to basically all of the truth delivered to God's church 
in almost the entire last century, since the 1930s. The new reign, the revelation restored to the church. Just a pretty incredible location, Robber's Cave. And even when we're not at Robber's Cave for that Armstrong College break, it still is a great reminder to us of all these miracles and the high value that God places on his truth. And that we always remember the miracles God works so that we can keep on receiving his truth. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 1130 a.m. Central Time.